lot of parenting is protecting, and one of the things that we have to protect our kids from is the secularization of every aspect of their life. Today on Life Talks, I'm with Ben, I'm Dan, we are the teaching pastors at Life Fellowship in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we're going to be continuing our family legacy series today, uh, different topics that deal with the family, raising kids, marriage, and parenting. Ben, the secularization of our culture Mm. is everywhere we turn, without a doubt. Mm -hmm. How can we protect our kids from over-secularization? Yeah, it's a, I think every parent that has kids sees the power of the world creeping in, right? I mean, in the, within the Christian mindset, we believe that there's three enemies that as a, as a follower of Jesus, you're going to constantly fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And, uh, we know that, you know, we have, we have an enemy, we have a spiritual enemy that we're, we're waging war against. There's also the issue of our own flesh that even though we've been made new in Christ, there's still some residue of that, and we've got to get power over to the Holy Spirit to overcome the works of the flesh in our own in our own lives. But the world is the other force that seems to have a sense of power that that creeps into people's minds and hearts, and the next generation is the most susceptible for the for their messages, for their worldview, for the ethics that they're just let's be honest, all, ramming down our throats mm-hmm. around every turn and corner. So I think having this conversation today, I think there's a lot of parents that feel like they're losing the battle when it comes to the secularization of their children. And I think we just have to be more aware of that and be more proactive and active to do something about that so that we don't just look look back and and all of a sudden they're like, we're like, what happened? And so I think having this conversation is a good one today because, um, and I'm more gear this towards, uh, it's it's really the battle for secularization begins if you raise your kids in a Christian home, predominantly the moment they get a phone. The moment they get that device, you are up against it and you have to, you're waging war at that moment. And so um, I, I think that's just the reality that that all parents are walking through right now. Well, let's start off with just a basic definition. When you say secularization or something has become secularized or you refer to the secular, what what specifically are you saying and how is that different for a believer? Yeah, I think the whole idea of secularization is that you're, you're thinking and acting like the world, the world's system. And so the Bible makes very clear there's uh, the two cities that are described in, in the Bible that we're to look towards, either Zion or Babylon. Right, Babylon is this. Is this? Uh, there, there was a real tower of Babel. There was a real uh, uh, empire of Babylon, but they're bigger than that. They are symbols. Even look at the the book of of um, of Revelation. That that Babylon is this world system that exists in contrary to God, His glory, His ways, His commandments, against the authority and in, in the kingship of Jesus Christ. And so Zion is the opposite end. It's it's the way of God. It's the it's the way to shalom. It's the way to Christ. It's the way of repentance and 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 new life in Jesus. And so it's grace and mercy. And so you through the grand narrative of scripture is God coming to redeem uh fallen mankind and glorifying himself to to save and rescue a people for himself. And so um the secularization is simply the idea by which people that 
young people who are in our homes, they don't fall victim to becoming and thinking like Babylon, but they're thinking more like the way of Christ, the way of Zion. Yeah. So basically what you're saying, this is the battle of worldviews. Absolutely. And battle of worldviews, in my opinion, started in the Garden of Eden Mm -hmm. with man's attitude toward God. Either you can trust God, either his word is true, either he wants the best for us, or you can't trust God, his word isn't true, and he's holding good things back from us. And and, sometimes when we talk about worldviews and philosophy and so forth, we try to make it so complicated and there's all of these isms and... (laughs) And and philosophies, you know, that we can pursue. But but for for the purpose of this conversation, it's either secular or sacred. Am I right? Yeah, I think that's the whole the whole idea is your worldview is either one that is that is formed by the word of God and by the spirit of God, or one that is formed by the world system. And Mm so and that's what that the reality is that's that's what's happening to so many young people today. Even young people are growing up in the church. And I, the reason why it's happening, and you're just, it comes down to the the amount of messages that a young person is receiving. Okay, so let's just do a little exercise with me, Dan. If some, let's just say someone's rocking it out of the park with their kids, and they're having family devotions, and they are, you know, they're talking to them throughout the day. What what time wise do you think that they're having on a daily basis the amount of you know having good solid influence on their kids? What would you say? Uh, probably less than an hour a day. Yeah, right. Yeah. Less than, I would say anywhere between 30 minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm. And that's if you are crushing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you're doing a really good job. Um, and then when you add, when you add the whole idea of coming to church once a week, I mean, most families don't, but let's just say they come once a week and they're involved in youth ministry or some other extra Bible study. You're looking at anywhere that the, the average student who's growing up in a Christian environment is receiving between six and nine hours of Christian messages. Okay. Per week. Per week. Per week. Per week. That's assuming that they're there at least once a week. That's that is that is parents that are really on top of things. That's they're coming to church every week. They're coming to youth group every week. That's that's the rock star student. Which we know the research is that that's no more than 40% (laughs) I mean of of the people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They call themselves Christian. When you compare that to once a kid gets a device, the average the average teenager is looking at their device anywhere between nine and twelve hours a day. Yep. A day. A day. So you're looking at a, let's just let's just be conservative and say between forty and sixty hours a week, a kid is on their phone compared to six to nine hours a week. It comes down to a simple idea of math that the messages they're receiving from their phone, whether it's their friends, whether it's social media the internet, YouTube, whatever it is, they are receiving hundreds, if not thousands of messages a week. And you compare that with what we're giving. The be- I mean, you it's, it's amount of deposit and withdrawal at mm-hmm. that moment. And so this is the battle we find ourselves against is the amount of messages, this, the pure amount of messages that your kid is receiving from that device, and that doesn't even include television, movies, all the other thing. I'm just saying through their through their personal digital device, it is 
it is an uphill battle we are waging. Yeah, it feels like we're fighting a tsunami with an umbrella. So <laughs> what, what, That's what? That's a good way of putting it. What are, what are. But I don't want us to lose hope. I don't want us to yeah, feel like so that's it. we're what, defeated. Like, oh, give what are we going to do? What, what, what are some things that parents can do to desecularize their homes, their, the, the, the environment in which their kids are, are, are coming to maturity? Yeah, I think there's um, a couple things. I, I've, I've written on a, a number of things here. The first one I would say is you better lay a good foundation for the first 10 to 12 years of their life. I mean, again, most kids are going to start being more influenced by their friends. I don't think kids should have phones before the age of 14 to 16, to be honest with you. And you know, by the way, there's legislation that was introduced this week in Congress making, I think it was either Cruz or who was it? Was it, was it um, uh, Rubio? But there's some senator who is now, no, it's Josh Hawley from Missouri. Okay. 16. They they said that kids should not have a phone before 16. And, think, and they're putting legislation in I place. think it's a phenomenal idea. Yeah. I really do. But so I, I think that's important because frontal lobe development, social development, all these kinds of things. And so, but I do know this. If you have not laid a good foundation for your child- before that they you hand them a phone and again I don't think a kid should have a phone when they're 10 11 12 13 14 um you know 14 at the earliest and I would put major restrictions on that thing but you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. like if you do not have if you've not laid a good foundation before that moment you are really going to have a very difficult time with them so so it's almost like you've got to make sure that you've got 12 years built up of trust and biblical thinking and that there's a a strong biblical worldview that they've you've already laid this good foundation for them. Mm-hmm. That's number one. So don't think that if you've been lazy going to church, you haven't been discipling in your home, you know, there there's just not the priority of discipleship or whatever it is. If you the moment you give them their phone, they're already at a deficit. So you have to build up the the bank account in their heart and their life. That's number one. Number two, I I feel like we've said this in other episodes, but you have to put boundaries around tech usage. Mm-hmm. Just put boundaries around it. Just the reality is just because a kid wants to be on their phone nine hours a day doesn't mean they should be on the phone mm-hmm. nine hours a day. Give them a time limit. Say when you have a phone, you're going to have a, and there's so many great, uh, you know, web browser barrier things yeah, out there. There's apps. Yeah. There's apps. There's, there's operating systems, all kinds of stuff. Bark, Custodio, Covenant Eyes, you can manage what your kids use. If you say, hey, I'm giving you a phone and you can't use it for more than two hours a day, that would be great. You Remember, parents, you are in control. Yeah. Your kids are not in control. And you don't have to apologize. You don't that. have to apologize that. You can say, this is, what's, well, this is what the norm is going to be for our home yeah. because I want to have more, I want to have a greater voice in your life than that device. They will think you're stupid, old-fashioned, whatever. It doesn't matter. You're the parent You've got to do that. So you've got put boundaries around tech usage. You might say, hey, you're not going to, your phone shuts off at 10 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock at night, whatever it might be, but you're not going to have your phone in your room past this time and it's going to shut down it. So put, put a hour limit, put a time of day limit on it. And then I would say severely limit social media before a certain age, before they're mature enough to handle it. I mean, Dan, just this week, a study came out from the CDC. It's been all the rage on the news. I think it's 37% of high school girls last year contemplated, seriously contemplated suicide. 37%. It's like an astronomical jump from last time they measured this 10 years ago. 
And you're thinking, well, what happened? I mean, you have a pandemic, but the biggest difference what's happened in the 10 years since they last measured it was the was the explosion in the advent of social media. Mm-hmm. And so it is messing up our kids' brains. It's not good for them. It's not mentally healthy for them. It's not socially healthy for them. Um, and so, again, don't apologize for telling your kids, you're not getting TikTok. You're not getting Instagram. You're not getting Snapchat before- The, the, the irony is more kids have committed suicide than died of COVID, and yet we were far more careful about our kids being exposed to COVID oh, than we were secular thinking Dude, through TikTok. you just nailed it. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. It, it's like- we. That's the, that's reality. Why can't we respond to reality the way we need to? Yeah. So I think that you've got to be strong and put boundaries around tech usage. Don't apologize for them. Develop your, you and your spouse, develop your own standards and stick by them. It doesn't matter if everyone else around you feels like, or if your kids are saying, well, everyone else, it doesn't matter. You are responsible for your kids. You want to make sure that you guard the messages your kids are hearing and seeing. So that's, that's number two. Um, I think the third one is something that you've talked about is just keep instructing along the way. Look for those moments when a song is sung, when, you know, you find out from your own social network, this is a popular trend or this is what's going on. You know, keep your fingers to the pulse of what's going on culturally. You don't have to know everything, but, you know, enough that your kids know what's going on. You should know what's going on. Have a conversation about it, Uh, whether it's sexuality, gender, uh, uh, other ethical issues that kids and students are talking about, like they want to have these kind of conversations. Use of drugs. Use of drugs. Oh yeah. Drugs is a huge thing. Pot mushrooms, those kind of things. So, so be willing to say, Hey, listen, I watched a video on this the other day. What are your thoughts? What's going on? Um, tell me about what you, what you're seeing from your friends. And again, don't, don't always expect your kid to be a, a gushing waterfall of of conversation. Sometimes you have to build up to it. Don't just, you know, sit your kid down like we're going to have a serious talk right now, okay? Like like have fun with them and and look for just these small ways you can introduce these conversations around the dinner table whatever, you're out for a drive, but keep looking for those deposits of having critical thinking sessions with them. I think that's really important. Um that's number 3. Number 4, I would say connect them to other adults or mentors. Um, I think it was you who told me or someone told me that the the average kid who turns out right has three to four influences outside of their parents that have spoken into their life who have helped shape them. And and Dan, like we've lived this, right? There's things that there's things that you have said to my child to my children that they're like, hey, Pastor Dan is the wisest man on the face of this planet because he told me this. And I'm like <sighs> you know, I've been telling you that for five years. Over and over. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no, it's my magnetic personality. It is. It's <laughs> and good looks. <laughs> but there, there, there is something too. I don't know what it is psychologically or spiritually, but there's something about a your kid hearing the same exact message that is not from you. That is powerful. Well, and the scripture says a prophet was without honor in his own country. And, <laughs> and I really, that's why, again, the partnership concept, that's why you need to be in a local church. That's mm-hmm. why you need to be in control of your kids' educational mentors. That's right. Um, if you if you give them the wrong mentors, they will hear the wrong message. That's right. No, should not come as a shock to anybody. Yeah. So, so I think making sure that you're, and, and how do you do that? Well, listen, 
if you put them in a youth group, they're going to have they're going to have youth speakers or 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 small group leaders or something like that. But get make sure that or if they go to a school, make sure there's a teacher. They, like there's a teacher at one of my kids' schools that my boys just absolutely loved, and we did everything we could to to direct them to hey, hang out with you know Mr. So and So. We'll 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 pick you up later from school. But we made sure there's other voices, other uh, men or women in our kids' lives. Um, for our daughter, there was a, a woman that my daughter looked up to, and my wife just took her aside and said, listen, would you be willing to meet with with Hallie? Because she really looks up to you, and she respects you. And she was like, yeah, absolutely. But it's like, you need that. Every parent needs partners who will do that. So that's, that's the next one. Um, number five, I would say immersion experiences. Immersion experiences. There are so many things you can do with your kids. Um, I've talked about Lake Ann camp that I've taken my kids to that you, you have that impact 360, um, camp. I know that's very popular. Uh, I have got a friend who runs a, a ministry where he takes dads and sons on these coming of age trips and they're just phenomenal. They're great. And, uh, they do whitewater rafting and fishing and, and up in West Virginia, um, but look for those kinds of experiences, even gap years, Dan. I mean, you mm-hmm. and I are huge proponents of gap years. Absolutely. The gap year, the year between high school and college is one of the most formative years in a young person's life. And a gap year is a wonderful way. We've had a number of students come out of our, our church in the last few years that have done this um, that I believe would help. It kind of helps reset, gets them out of their their regular social routine and puts them in a group of like-minded Christians, serving God, immersion in the word of God. I mean, it's just, it's such a great experience. And so the gap year would be another thing, but find those kind of immersive experiences where they're getting away from the the routine and they are, they're experiencing God in a fresh way. So um, I only got two more and unless you want to have anything else to say. Will you stick yours in and then I got one last thing to kind of tie Okay. Around. The last thing I would say is, Read books with them. Read books together. Give them mere Christianity. Say, if you read mere Christianity, you know, let's. I'll take you out. We'll, you know, I'll, I'll take you out to eat, or we'll do something nice. We'll do something fun. We're do, may there let there be a reward, but then have a conversation about it. Christian biographies, uh, Insanity of God. One of the one of those books that has stories in it that is just captivating. Or you know, your kid. What would make them really interested in the things of God or the, or or thoughts uh, or, or theology, whatever it might be. And then the last one I would just say is you got just got to keep praying for them. Mm-hmm. Just keep praying because you never know when you'll see that glimmer of hope or that little shoot from the seed that you've planted come up out of the ground and you see begin to see the work of the spirit. Yep. These are these are all great thoughts. The only thing I would add to, you know, the foundation you've laid here is I think it's really important that we're aware of the tendency in a lot of Christian homes to divide the secular world from the sacred world and live kind of a philosophical dichotomy in, mm. in the, how they mm. how they approach everything. Yeah. It's kind of like on Sunday, we put on our Jesus clothes and our Jesus hat and our Jesus lapel pin, and we, we, we focus on the sacred. But the real world, the rest of the world, well, we just have to adapt and, you know, and we have kind of this pragmatic approach. Yeah. And we as, we as parents need to be, first of all, doing this in our own life, but emphasizing in, in our kids' training and development that they're for the Christian, everything is sacred. 
Everything is sacred. And there is no dichotomy of worlds. You can't. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And what fellowship has light with darkness? The scripture over and over and over emphasizes this. We have to choose to think with God in mind. We have to choose to think with truth as our foundation. We have to have this default setting that says God matters, his word is truth, and we serve it. And if we don't, we will start dividing it off and say, well, yeah, you know, in the real world, everybody does have sex before they get married. Right. Rather than looking at, I know how Christians believe, but in my world, this is how I have to adapt to be yeah. able to, to survive or even thrive. And so we trade the truth of God for a lie, which is what it talks That's about right. in Romans chapter one. And in doing so, we find ourselves at a destination that is destructive. Mm. So make sure that as as you make decisions in your home, as you model philosophy in your kid's life, that you're constantly reintegrating the biblical worldview, the sacred uh, philosophy into your everyday decisions, 100%. how you spend your money, how you set your time. What you watch on television. What you watch on yeah. TV. Um you know, if you're uncomfortable uh, watching it, if the pastor was visiting, <laughs> uh, then it's probably a sign to you that you've adopted uh, a, a dichotomy yeah. in, in the way you make decisions. 100%. So this has been a great conversation, and obviously all of these are just meant to whet our appetite so that we can uh, explore these further. We hope you'll do that in the confines of your own home, even with your kids and with your friends as well. Thank you so much for joining us on Life Talks. As always, please share us on your social media pages in any other way that you can. And if you have any questions, you can always send them to us at lifetalks at lifecharlotte.com. And until next time, thanks for joining us here at Life Life Talks. You've been listening to Life Talks. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new episode. Share this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to let your friends and family know about Life Talks. We'd love to hear from you as well, so leave a comment and let us know your thoughts on this episode or any other topics we've discussed. Life Talks is a ministry of Life Fellowship in Cornelius, North Carolina. For more information on Life Talks or Life Fellowship, visit LifeCharlotte.com or you can find us on Facebook at Life Fellowship Charlotte.